Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 8. And I think we just might get through the whole chapter. 13 verses. You think we can do that? Let's do that. God willing. So here in Hebrews chapter 8, we'll start in verse 1. But before we start, pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. Lord, I ask that today you would lead us and guide us through this study. That the words spoken here this morning would be your words, not mine. That you would grant us patience and wisdom. You would give us knowledge and understanding of your word. Things that can only come from you. That you would help us to be a light and a witness to those around us today, this week. That you would... Just watch over our lives. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Do you all have your Bibles? Let's open our Bibles. So, the author of Hebrew, up until this point, has been contrasting Jesus to the Jewish religion, right? We learned about Abraham, and contrasted Jesus to Abraham, and the, the one that gives the blessing is greater than the one receiving it, and then he made it pretty clear that Jesus was the one giving the blessing to Abraham, right? <clears throat> we learned about Melchizedek, Melchizedek being... Uh, Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament, right? We know that Jesus created Abraham because all things were created through Jesus. Yep. Nothing has existed that wasn't created by Jesus, including each one of you. Did you know that? So, as we continue on, here in Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to take a look at Jesus as the high priest, right? In the Jewish religion, you had the priests, but you had the high priest. It was the, the highest of the priestly order. So we're going to take a look at comparing that today. Here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Here is the main point. We have a high priest... Who sat down in the place of honor <clears throat> Let me start over. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship. That was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So here we know that there is a tabernacle in heaven. And that the tabernacle that 
was built here on earth was just a replica of that built with human hands but the tabernacle in heaven was built by god's hands and that that is the true place of worship so when we get to heaven what do you think we're going to be doing we're going to be worshiping god for all of eternity and that jesus is sitting at god's hand right beside the throne of the majestic god Jesus is sitting there. He is our high priest. Did you know that? Pretty amazing. So, continuing on here in verse 3. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there are already priests who offer gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you on the mountain. Right? So God has the pattern. When they built the tabernacle here on earth, it was exactly the way God described. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Are you there? In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Colossians 2, verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only shadows of the reality to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. They are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with his joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So all these rules, all these religious things that people do, it is only a foreshadowing or a shadow of the reality to come, and that reality to come is Jesus. Our religion but the things that we worship have to be focused and centered on Jesus or they are worthless. Or according to this area, they are sinful things that are make people proud. So many times we can get caught up in religion and traditions and things of that nature and we can put that above worshiping Jesus, right? Do you think that ever happens? Do you think people ever get set in their ways? Yes. 
So do we need to be careful of that? Yes. Is any of the rules or regulations or systems of worship here on earth are only a shadow of the reality in heaven? There's a tabernacle in heaven, but it's all focused on worshiping Jesus. Our lives should be focused and centered on him, right? We've kind of been over this, a lot of his promises. And when we have his promises, what are a lot of them around? A lot of the promises are around that if we trust in him, he'll take care of us, right? When we run into tough times, we have a choice to believe, to put our faith to the test and say, Jesus, I trust in you in this situation that you will handle this in my life. And we don't need to worry about it, right? Have you ever had that happen in your life? Where you thought things were going to happen a certain way, but God took care of it in a completely different way that you never would have expected, never would have seen coming. And you worried and fretted for no reason, right? Have you ever had that happen? I have. More than once. <clears throat> but I would say it's becoming less and less frequent. Because when those situations come up, I tend to go more to God in the beginning. And I don't know how you're going to handle this, but I'm sure you got a plan. And it's better than anything I could have ever dreamed of myself. So, just remember, in all these religious traditions, everything should be focused on Jesus. And if it's not focused on Jesus, if it gets focused on something else, like you hear in context in Colossians, it got focused, people were focusing on worshiping angels or visions that they had or things of that nature is not focused on Jesus, then it's a sinful thing. And it comes from human pride. And that everything we do should be focused on Jesus. All of our worship should be focused on him. And why is that? Because when we get to heaven, we're going to focus on him. We're going to worship him. So let's go back to our study in Hebrews chapter 8. So Hebrews chapter 8 We'll pick it up again in verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Okay. So Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. But now Jesus, our high priest has been given a ministry that is superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So Jesus mediates a far better covenant with God. It was a covenant with God. It's kind of our relationship with God. What defines the terms of our relationship with God? And Jesus mediates or negotiates a far better covenant with God than we could ever do ourselves, right? Just like everything else in our lives. When we trust that Jesus has a handle, when we let him do the work in our lives, he does a work in our lives far better than anything we could have imagined or came up with on our own, right? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Everything he does, everything he does is far better than anything we could do. Right? There's not one thing, not even one minor thing that we could do better than Jesus. Right? So why would we not go to him for everything in our life? Every problem, every concern, 
every good thing that happens, right, for it all. So continuing on here, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. If the first covenant has been had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, so he didn't find fault with the covenant, he found fault with the people he made the covenant with. He said, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Have we been over that yet? That when God forgives, he never remembers your sin. Yes. Never brings it up. We've been over that before? Okay. Quite a few times. Why do you think we've been over that quite a few times? Because it's all throughout the Bible. So if God said something once, and that was it, do you think that that would be one of the major important things that God wanted to communicate to us? It'd be important, but it probably wouldn't be one of the major important things, right? So if God says something over and over and over and over again, do you think that he's trying to prove a point to us that this is an important thing, that we should believe this? Yeah. Do you believe that? That when he forgives, he never brings it up again. He removes it from your record. Did you know that? Do you believe that? It's important. And it must be important because God brings it up regularly, right? Let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Right after the book of Isaiah. So Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, we'll start in verse 27. We'll read a little bit more about this new covenant, right? So the book of Jeremiah, to kind of summarize it briefly, to give you the cliff notes on it, Jeremiah is a prophet and he's warning the nation of Israel, turn back to God, you've committed these evil sins, you're worshiping idols, you've replaced God with wooden figures and metal statues and all these other things you replace God with everything else in the world except for God. You're worshiping the creation and no longer the creator and all these things you're doing, right? And God 
gives messages to Jeremiah to give to the people. And the messages start off with repent and I'll forgive. And what happens when God forgives? He removes that sin from your record, never brings it up again. But the people don't repent and they continue on. So then God says, okay, now I'm going to bring a, a judgment or a punishment on you. But if you repent, admit that you have sinned, ask for forgiveness, this punishment will go well for you. The, this other nation will take take over, but if you um, ask me for forgiveness and I you repent from your sins, then even though this other nation is going to take over, your lives will still be good. But the people don't all do that. They don't all ask for forgiveness. Some say, nope, we'll never leave this land. It will always be ours. And God tells those people that if you don't repent now, if you don't um, admit that you were wrong, ask for forgiveness, that terrible tragedies are coming upon you, right? That they'd be, they would starve and that all these awful things would happen. Mothers would eat their babies. And, oh, yeah, awful things. And God's warning them, don't do this. Just repent and let this nation take over and go along with them and God will protect, right? This is part of that trusting that God has it handled even when it doesn't sound good. And some of the nation does, but some does not. And they stay and say, nope, we're not. We're going to stay right here. God. We're not listening to you. So what happens? They get surrounded and they're in this great siege and they run out of food because they're, they're inside their walled city. The enemy is all around them. They can't come in or go out. They can't go to their fields and get food or, or things of that nature. So they're inside and they're starving and they're refusing to repent, refusing to let go. And what happens? You know, all the things that God warned them was going to happen, happens. So who do you think made that happen? Do you think God made that happen? No. God warned them about that. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is what's going to happen. Kind of like a parent who tells a young child, don't touch the stove. It's hot, right? Don't do this. It's hot. It's going to burn your hand, right? And so if a young child, maybe say 12 years old, touches the stove, whose fault is that? The child. <laughs> right? So you understand the point? Some people read the Old Testament and think, oh, what a harsh God. Look what God is doing. God's not doing it. God's warning them that this is coming and that he's giving them a way out. And he's offering forgiveness for their sins, removing it from their record. So anyways, we'll pick it up. The, the nation of Israel has been um, captured by another nation. And we'll kind of pick up what's being said here. Ready? So Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 27. Uh, so Jared chapter 31, verse 27, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will greatly increase the human population and the number of animals here in Israel and Judah. In the past, I deliberately uprooted and tore down this nation. I overthrew it, destroyed it and brought disaster upon it. But in the future, I will just as deliberately plant it and build it up. I, the Lord, have spoken. The people will no longer quote this proverb. 
this isn't a proverb that you find in God's proverb. This is just like a wise, quote unquote, wise human saying that they had. So verse 29, the people will no longer quote this proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. All people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. The day is coming. So this is the the new covenant part of this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So the point here where he says that he's going to put their his laws on their mind and write them in their hearts, what do you think that means? What did he do before? But before... People didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have it now. When we ask Jesus into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, never leaves us. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. And that Holy Spirit oftentimes in my life sounds like my own voice in my head, right? So I want to know if that voice that I'm hearing, that idea, that thought that I have, is that the Holy Spirit or is that me? Or is that some bad pizza that I ate last night? It gave me some bad dreams. And the best way to know that is that if those thoughts line up with God's word, the Bible, then I know that that's from God, right? And if they don't line up with God's word, then it's not from God. And that's the best way to know those ideas, those thoughts. Is that from the Holy Spirit or is that from my own selfish nature, my own pride? And that's the best way. So in the Old Covenant, they didn't have the Holy Spirit who dwelled in them, who lived with them, but we do now. That's the new covenant that we have. And the other major difference, and we won't go into all of them, but the other major difference was the forgiveness of sins. So in the old covenant, they had animal sacrifices, and the animal sacrifices covered up their sins, but didn't remove their sins. Does that make sense? And how is it that in the new covenant, we have a removal of sins? We have a removal of sins because Jesus died on the cross, took away all of our sins, so that when God forgives us, he's forgiven us because he's already, Jesus has already paid the penalty for those sins. They've already been punished. No sin goes unpunished, and Jesus paid that that penalty for us. Jesus took that punishment for our sins. So now, when God says he forgives our sins, he can remove them from our record because they've been placed on Jesus' record. Jesus, who lived a faultless life, who went to the cross willingly, died for our sins. That's how it can happen. That's the new covenant, right? 
So how much greater is this new covenant than the old covenant? We just read in, in Hebrews that Jesus mediates for us this new covenant. And how much greater is it? I'd say a lot greater, right? We have the Holy Spirit who lives with us in us each and every moment of our life. When we become believers in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in us. Jesus lives in us and never leaves us. So how much better is this new covenant from that aspect? A whole lot better. And this idea of having our sins removed, our records wiped clean, isn't that a whole lot better than just covering up our sins, making that atonement, is what the Bible says? That's a whole lot better covenant, huh? So Jesus really did give us a lot better covenant. He negotiated or mediated for us a lot better covenant. So, one more place that we'll go before we go back and finish our last verse of Hebrews is John chapter 6. So the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John chapter 6. And we'll go towards the end of the chapter there, verse 45. Yep, so John chapter 6, verse 45. It's written in red, so that means it's Jesus speaking. Yeah. So John chapter 6, verse 45. As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Right? So Jesus is the one speaking here. Jesus, the God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So be taught by the Father. And how will we be taught by the Father? God uses the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, right? So, this triune God is what we're talking about all in this verse. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one speaking, explaining it to us. The Father is the one teaching us. The Father uses the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, right? What an amazing covenant. So, anytime, anytime... We have a decision to make. We have a crossroads in our lives. We have a trial or we have a troubled time. God already knows, right? Jesus already knows what we need. He already has a far better way of handling it than we could ever imagine. And the question in our lives is, do we trust in him? Do we really believe that? Are we really willing to go through some difficult situations because in the end, or months later, or years later, there was a purpose for it. And we get to live that out. Right? We get to see that. So, I can think of this in relation to work. At work, I've had difficult people that I've had to deal with. Right? But in those difficult times, I got to learn some amazing new skills. Right? And that was good. But that wasn't the ultimate thing. 
if I hadn't go through those difficult times to learn those new skills, the amazing part was I got to take those new skills to projects months later, years later, and have amazing, phenomenal results. Well, that never would have happened had I not go through that tough time and learn that new skill or that new thing when it came to, to work. So while at the time it was difficult and I didn't like it, on the other side, months later, I got to see God's hand at work. And it was Matt that took you through this so that you could learn this new skill and you could apply it down the road, right? And it had amazing results. And oftentimes in our lives, that's how God works. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. Finish up the study here today. So when God speaks of a new covenant, it means that he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So that new covenant, and the new covenant is Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Jesus' loving sacrifice on the cross for each and every one of our sins. That's the new covenant. So when we ask him into our lives, we have the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us, speaking into our lives the things that God the Father wants him to speak into our lives. We have the Son that's mediating better covenants for us. We have the Son that's leading us and guiding us. The Son is the head of the church. So the Christian church, any church that claims to be a Christian church, should be following Jesus. Jesus should be the head of the church, and they should be doing the things that he's asked them to do, that he's led them to do. As the head of the church, we're not to lead the church. Jesus is. And that this is the far better covenant that we could have never came up with on our own. Have you ever had that in your life? Something that God did that you never would have imagined came up with on your own? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, that's where we'll end our study for today. Okay? You got any questions? No? You understand pretty well the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and all the things in between? Mm-hmm. Really? Wow. I'm impressed. What about you? Don't have any questions today? If you don't have any questions, we'll pray. So when we go through challenging times this week at school or at work or with our families, what should we do? We should first, yes, absolutely, first go to God, ask God to help us, to lead us, to give us patience, to give us wisdom, and we need to have the faith to believe that he will lead us through it, that he will negotiate a better covenant or a better plan than we could have ever done on our own, right? You got pretty good plans? Do you think that God's plans are even better than yours? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to worship you. We long for the day, look forward to the day where we get to worship you in the tabernacle you created, not with human hands, but with your words there in heaven. Where we get to spend time with you for all of eternity. There are no 
No more hurting, no more sadness, no more tears, no more pain that we get to enjoy being in your presence. That there is no more sin, that there's no more temptation, that there's no more pride and evil thoughts. We long for those days. I ask that you would speak to each of our hearts this week. You would lead us and guide us. You would grant us patience, wisdom, knowledge, understanding, all things that can only come from you. Lord, I just ask that you would put your mighty hand upon our lives each and every day. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. I pray all these things. Amen. Amen.